Hello everyone, welcome to the My Tree Between Friends podcast. I'm your temporary host, Ebony Collins, and today we will be discussing the South Asian perspective on marital rape, a crime in California, and how raising awareness on this topic is being discussed at My Tree. We have among us My Tree's self-sufficiency coordinator, Tejasri Dota, and the newest member of My Tree's client advocacy team, Erja Patel. They will be discussing My Tree's recent findings of a listening session on marital rape and consent in intimate relationships. Thank you for listening. Let's get to the discussion. Thank you, Ebony. Welcome, Urja. Today, I and Urja will discuss marital rape and consent in intimate partner relationships. As advocates working with survivors of domestic violence over the years, many of us have heard and been spoken to about marital rape and consent as part of abuse history. In many cases, it is the first time the survivor has ever shared it with anyone. Even when survivors acknowledge that sex was forced upon them by their spouse, there is a reluctance to term it as rape or to bring in consent into the context. Is it because of a belief system that emphasizes their role as a wife who has to cater to the needs of the husband, including those sexual, perhaps? How can we, as advocates, address this cultural conditioning and belief system yet be trauma-informed and culturally responsive to our survivors. How do we bring up this conversation with both survivors and our community? These were some of the questions that led Maitri to take a step forward in 2021, initiating a two-year process of engagement with survivors, policy advocates, and community members in the form of listening sessions, discussion, on our findings and charting our next steps with the support of community members. Uja, I want to bring you in here. Marital rape has been a crime in all 50 states in the US since 1993. The current California Criminal Code makes no distinction between rape by a stranger and an intimate partner or spouse. How do you, uh, in your experience working with survivors, feel or think that might be some of the reasons that marital rape is not largely reported or discussed? I think in between survivors, one of the main reasons marital rape may not be discussed has a lot to do with, like, you know, you stated before, the idea that, you know, sexual consent in a relationship, especially a married relationship, is a lot different than consent in a non-marriage or non-intimate relationship um so i think in that case a lot of times what happens is a lot of the survivors are confused as if they if they did consent or not first that's one of them and second um maybe they've consented to engaging in a sexual activity prior and so they think that because they've consented one time that the consent carries on to the next time or the time after that. So I think that's one of the main reasons why survivors may be hesitant um, in discussing rape. You know, it may not feel right to them. It may not feel that um, it was fully consented, but not knowing the proper definition and applying it to their experience makes it a lot difficult for them. Um, I think also within our South Asian community, like you stated before, the role of the wife, it's to please the the husband. Um, and as 
as much as I see that we're moving away from that ideology, I still see there's big segments that still kind of um, that are still present to this day. So one of them is, you know, that idea that 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 idea that marriage um, marriage and a relationship between a husband and wife is supposed to be private. It's supposed to be between the two. And when you do marry, you know that initial moment, that marriage ceremony, that marriage document that you sign, whatever it is, states that, well, now this person has consent to, um, you know, engage in sexual activity with you, when in reality, that's not true, um, until you give consent verbally, and, you know, it's not coerced, it's not forced, and it's at that moment that you are about to engage in that activity, um, it's not consent until then. Mm -hmm. I, I also feel that um, a lot of us uh, use uh, this interchangeably, like, for example, consenting to marriage, meaning consenting to sex right. all the time. And that that is um, an interesting idea that stems from cultural conditioning, right? And so even though people might acknowledge and even in during our listening sessions and findings, large majority of respondents were moving away from the idea of punishment for marital rape. And uh, what is your opinion on that? I think, you know, how California criminal code makes it, you know, there should be no distinguishing between rape by a stranger and rape by an intimate partner or spouse. Mm -hmm. um, rape is rape. At the end of the day, rape is rape. Um, it doesn't matter if you've been intimately involved with this person prior or this is a complete stranger, you know, it's, it's rape. Um, I think when we believe that, you know, rape by being raped by a intimate partner versus being raped by a stranger are inherently different, it's actually a very harmful um, ideology to have, especially on survivors, because when you are being sexually assaulted by your partner, that is domestic abuse. And the thing with domestic abuse and thing with relationships is we're in that relationship, you know, I mean, how do I state this? Uh, we may be living in the house with them, right? So then there could be a constant fear that this is going to continuously occur. This is not going to be the last time it's going to continuously occur. So you're, you're in that state of fear in an environment that's supposed to be safe for you. You know, your house is supposed to be safe for you. Your relationship, a healthy relationship is supposed to be safe where you can express your concerns. So I feel like when we don't acknowledge marital rape, we're kind of hiding a big part of domestic abuse that occurs. Mm -hmm. I, also, I think uh, what some of what you said um, ties up into how people view consent and mm -hmm. how they would uh, view marital rape. And so as many seem to have different understandings of what constitutes marital rape in the first place. And then it is tied to their understanding and information about consent. Right. Much of my learning um, about sex and very little learning about consent um, came from books, sometimes films uh, that didn't have any clear distinction between yes and no growing up in India. Is that a concept that uh, is that concept of consent evolving among South, young South Asians? Uh, if so, how? I think our generation, um, we're a lot more informed on consent when it comes to knowing and understanding um, sort of more the dictionary definition. Mm -hmm. um, 
But if you were to describe scenarios and you were to ask me and define whether this was, if consent was given in those situations, more than likely most of us will be able to give you a confident answer whether consent was present or not. However, even with that understanding of consent, I think there are gray areas. I think when it comes to applying consent to our own experiences, we have a difficult time determining whether we consented or not in an experience. And at least, well, that's what I've experienced. Um, that's what I can state from my personal experiences and experiences from my peers, you know. Um, in, you know, there's always a conflict whether we've, uh, whether we can apply that definition of consent to ourselves and a lot of that has to do with you know being emotionally attached to the partner or even just you know you have this this overall understanding of this person you know that they're safe they're not harmful and then when you look at when you think about the overall definition of a rapist it's you know they're harmful they're dangerous this and that so when we look at our partners and these are partners that we turn to for safety and now we're portraying now we're viewing them as a rapist it's it's very conflicting you know so that's another reason you know people may not understand whether consent is present or not i remember that in one of the sessions a panelist shared her view of consent um, as voluntary enthusiastic and ongoing that is where i think we all hope it is headed because it arises from so many different places how do you think we can start this conversation of course taking into consideration the close connection between sex consent um, in an intimate partner relationship i think the you know acknowledging consent starts with sex education and I know, you know, through school we get sex education, but I think a lot of a lot of our parents, you know, we come from we're children of immigrants and they may not have grown up with the same resources that we did, especially not the same education system. I can take my parents for an example. I don't believe anyone ever discussed consent with them when they were younger. So I think it starts by kind of putting that out there into their generation and, you know, explaining what consent is, giving them information on consent, and then hoping that that practice gets carried on from generation to generation to generation. So it's not more so, you know, teaching us because yes, you do need to teach us, but it's also informing the older generations that didn't have access to such education systems and didn't have access to obtaining information and maybe even just grew up in areas where such topics were taboo, you know? Mm -hmm. Uja, I'm glad you brought up boundaries as well as discussing these at home. How can we create a space where these boundaries can be acknowledged, leading them to have conversations about behaviors like consent and sex or rape? Growing up in the US, uh, did you think it was different for young South Asians like you to discuss these behaviors at home compared to um, young people uh, your age belonging to different uh, ethnicities or different cultures, uh, not only with family members, but with other people that might be in your inner circle, people you trust? I think um, one of the first things is to view consent in non-sexual manners as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think one thing that's very prominent in our culture is we usually go hug people, you know, go hug your uncle, go hug your aunt. Um, if the child is not okay doing that, then, you know, 
I feel like that's a forced interaction, right? And so the child may not be that right there. The child is kind of confused, you know, right there with what consent is. If the child does not feel comfortable, you know, giving someone a hug, something like that. But I, I definitely think that consent, if we're going to teach our community, starts at um, teaching them in a non-consensual manner. Also teaching them that consent can be in different scenarios and it's very um, we need to give realistic age appropriate examples to children so for example if we're starting to teach consent at the age of five you know teaching children what appropriate what are appropriate parts of their body that an adult can touch you know what are appropriate methods of communication things like that you know and then giving them a safe space to come to I think that's another important thing is children and even when your children grow up they become teenagers or they become adults you need to give them that safe space that they can come to you so I think along with sex education along with realistic uh situations and scenarios that are age appropriate comes giving a safe space to your children and even if your children are married you know a lot of times we have that belief that once you're married that's your life whatever you need to give your children that open space that if you're not feeling comfortable, you can come and talk to me. You have that safe space. Uja, I'm glad you brought up boundaries as well as discussing these at home. How can we create a space where these boundaries can be acknowledged, leading them to have conversations about behaviors like consent and sex or rape? Growing up in the U.S., uh, did you think it was different for young South Asians like you to discuss these behaviors at home compared to um, young people uh, your age belonging to different uh, ethnicities or different cultures, uh, not only with family members, but with other people that might be in your inner circle, people you trust? I think the idea is sort of universal, whether you're a first gen South Asian, first gen um, Latinx. Um, I think I, I noticed, you know, a lot of my friends, they do have parents who are immigrants and we really didn't have conversations with our parents regarding consent and uh, sex education and things like that, you know, even setting healthy boundaries. We didn't really have that conversation. Um, so in terms of that, I think our role as first gen is to have and create that open space for possibly our children and possibly our younger siblings or anyone else that's you know younger in the community that may be going through the same thing. That's our role. But at the same time, it's also our role to give information to our parents and sort of open them up to this topic as well and inform them as well you know I think um, a lot of the reasons why these conversations weren't being brought up is because our parents lacked information regarding consent and uh, again like I stated you know it's a taboo topic but I think over time people have gotten more open to speaking about it and I think as children get older especially I've noticed in my family as I get older my family is a lot more open to discussing um relationships and you know um what what they're happy about in their relationships what they're not um and things like that so I think it's it's important to create that space and I think 
as first gen South Asians, and I think just in general as first gen, um, you know, children of immigrants, I think we we need to create that space for the younger generation, as well as, you know, if we ever become parents for our children as well. So that's how I think we can create a safe space. It yeah. starts with us. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I think uh, what was striking um, in terms of all the work we did in the listening sessions and engagement that uh, we had very little participation from uh, men mm -hmm. and boys. And so I think that is an important uh, conversation we need to think a lot about on how do we involve, uh, how does this not sound like a women's issue? Because it is not. I think one of the ways we can do that is, you know, have a conversation in groups of, you know, like men go into a group and discuss it. I think that's really important when, when there's a, there's a male sitting here and there's all females and they're discussing their sexual experiences or just discussing consent, maybe the man can't relate as much. Um, so there's sort of a hesitant to speak onto it. And so I think, having a group where young boys get together and a male um, sort of, uh, what are they called? Uh, a peer, not a peer, um, a mentor. Uh, a, male, a, a male mentor is the one, you know, asking these questions, informing them to these young boys, you know. So I think kind of making it a topic, you know, showing them that it's not just a topic that you discuss with women, it's a topic that you discuss with men as well. And it's a topic that should be discussed. Mm -hmm. uh, earlier in the conversation, I brought um, I brought up films uh, growing up, how Bollywood or uh, Telugu films that I watched kind of might have created some understanding about boundaries and consent. Do you feel that media in general, uh, including the movies we watch, uh, the media campaigns we see, do you think these are things that could um, create a positive um, impact on creating this conversation or do you already think it has started I definitely think they have the platform to start creating a positive impact um, but I don't think it's being utilized as proper um, I mean I grew up watching Bollywood films too and now I look back and I watch it after I've had all this education and this information and after working with survivors and I look back and I see how we really just kind of uh, reinforce some of those cultural beliefs, you know, and always, I feel like every movie, it's it's the man, he's chasing the, the, the lady, you know, the actress or whatever. And it's, it's sometimes like some of those movies, it's, it looks kind of like it's it's harassment, you know? Um, she's saying, no, I don't wanna marry you. No, I don't like you, no this. And he's still constantly chasing her. So, you know, that kind of creates, a very poor description of what a healthy relationship should look like but I think the platform is there you know these these Bollywood films these Bollywood um, Bollywood industry in general they have that platform to to create positive roles you know to show that what consent should look like what an absolute no should look like what um, uh, what a healthy relationship should look like mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, some of the suggestions we received when we uh, did the listening sessions and uh, in our discussion with community members was obviously to um, look 
at religious and faith leaders uh, to create space for open relationship. Obviously, it's not very straightforward. These are not topics uh, many religions might not address on an ongoing basis, but uh, have you heard of any campaigns or do you see uh, creating that space uh, with religious and faith leaders? You know, on the top of my head, I can't think of any campaigns. Mm -hmm. um, but I think when it comes to religion and discussing sex, it's a very, like, it's there's a big gray area, you know, because I think when you get religion involved, you don't want to be disrespectful towards a religion. But mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, the purpose is to bring information on consent. So I think one of the things that people worry about before discussing these topics and including, you know, involving religious communities into it is the wording. So I think, I think there's, there's a, there's an area for us to kind of go and talk to certain religious communities um, and see if they're open to having these panels or holding um, uh, group discussions, but I think we need to probably find ways to word it in a way that we're not showing that we're disrespectful towards that religion. I agree with you. Also, religion and faith play a varied role based on personal belief systems. Some could view it as a deeply personal experience, might not welcome a legal or community intrusion based on their lived experiences as well as their cultural conditioning. Marital rape and consent um, in intimate partner relationships is a very sensitive topic with many perspectives and interpretations as we've seen today and in much of our work during these two years. As an agency for us, this engagement has allowed us to understand the barriers to create healthy relationships along with reminding us the stigma and the taboo that comes with these topics in the community. It has given us a lot of food for thought in terms of our next steps. We will uh, take into consideration some of the recommendations such as creating shared spaces, open communication channels that will funnel difficult conversations to build prevention strategies in addressing domestic violence, including rape. There is also a need uh, to bridge the gap between immigrant experiences and realities in the Bay Area we will certainly take the community perspectives and share it with thought leaders and policymakers uh, to bring them um, on board with our conversation. We certainly hope this is only a beginning and we are looking forward to continuing this work with all stakeholders involved. Thank you, Urja, for uh, you. joining today and for your insights. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the insightful discussion. This has been the Maitri Bay Area Between Friends podcast. You can find us on all platforms and you can find us on all social medias at Maitri Bay Area. Thank you. This show is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice. Always consult an attorney for legal advice. Views expressed by guests of the radio show are individual opinions and not endorsed by Maitri. This project was made possible by funding provided by Santa Clara County Office of Gender-Based Violence Prevention.